Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is produced in association with Jazz Times. Vocalist, trombonist, educator Haley Brunel grew up surrounded by the joyous energy of swing music and did her first gigs playing this music she loves at the tender age of 12, singing and playing drums with her piano-playing father, Dave. At 25, Haley is part of an impressive group of younger musicians already experienced in international touring and collaborations with big-name musicians. She is also a 2021 Sarah Vaughan International Jazz Vocal Competition finalist. Haley's latest CD, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, features familiar standards and some, like the title track, that are seldom recorded these days. Haley feels the childlike optimism of this tune in particular is tinged with sadness and disappointment. In Haley's words, the lyrics change the meaning from simple gaiety to subtle contemplation and reconciliation of the negativity and adversity in one's life while still finding and rejoicing in moments of happiness to sustain oneself. A perfect message for our COVID time. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Haley and I recorded the following conversation in March of this year. One of the things that I loved about the CD and your whole vibe, everything about it, is that it's swinging and it's got a traditional feel, but you didn't go in, for lack of calling it something else, a Dixieland direction, which I hate to even say to a trombonist, but it can just, it so easily can go there, it seems. If people want to do a traditional thing, that's where they wind up for some reason, and you don't at all. So I want you to talk about that and how you accomplished that, and uh, it's just really lovely. Talk about that. Well, thank you. Um, Yeah, I'm really inspired by New Orleans jazz. When I went to college at Temple University, I did a research project where I went down and um, interviewed a lot of different musicians and um, talked to uh, jazz historians down there and learned a lot about what not to do um, in a a traditional setting. Um, I didn't want this album to sound like a caricature. I didn't want to pretend that I am an authentic New Orleans musician, but I was really inspired by players like Stanton Moore, who... Uh, play music that is influenced by New Orleans, but he has his own spin on it. And he'll go in and out of this group improvisation, sometimes street beat, sometimes not. And I like the idea of having tracks that are inspired by and paying homage to that traditional New Orleans sound with, again, not being a caricature. I have to reveal, I played trombone in high school for two minutes. I learned one tune for some play that they were doing. And I wanted to play trombone because I got to play the stripper because I wanted to do the. <laughs> it's so sad. And I've never admitted this to anybody before, but to say that to a trombone, it's just so I could do the glissando at the beginning. I just wanted to do that. And then I gave up the trombone. But to, I did have my moment. To be fair, as a professional trombonist, I still get excited to play glissando. So you're fine. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you're making, you're, you're removing this huge, this huge burden of guilt from me because I love trombone. I love trombonists. So why trombone for you? I'm always fascinated with why people choose a particular instrument separate from me wanting to play the stripper, which is so sad. But 
<laughs> yeah, and it's it's so interesting because I and I, I've told this in a few interviews already. I I didn't want to play trombone originally. Oh. Um, yeah, I um, my family. Uh, I have a very supportive musical family. I did the, I played piano. I played drums. I played took guitar lessons and violin. They let me try a lot of things. When it came to fifth grade and picking a band instrument, I wanted to play French horn because it was oh. had all the windy tubes and it looked very cool. Right. Um, they didn't have a French horn when we tried instruments, so I said baritone. That looks the same. Um, <laughs> and uh, but it was really uh, it was my brother who said he was he's five years older than me and he played in the jazz band. He plays tenor sax and he said, "No, Haley, you can't play baritone because then you can't be in jazz band. Um, trombone has the same mouthpiece. Do that." And um, my papa, my my dad's father, played trombone, so we had an old trombone in the attic. So my parents were all in on that idea, <laughs> um, and that's really how it started. That's which fantastic. Is so funny that yeah. <laughs> My guest, Haley Brunel, on trombone from her CD, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Haley came to playing trombone at the suggestion of her saxophone-playing brother. I asked if she took to it right away. I did. Um, I Again, I had been taking so many different instrument lessons um, that trombone gave me a, a reason to exercise my ear in a way that when I took piano lessons, I wasn't being forced to do as much because you press a key and the correct note comes out. So uh, I really enjoyed with trombone how I had to do a little more thinking in terms of when notes would come out. I had to hear them in my head and I had never played an instrument where you had to do that when you first started. Well, talk about your title track on this wonderful CD because I love what you said in your press about this and about this tune specifically and recording it, but it's the vibe of the whole project, I think. So talk about that. Uh, yeah, the song I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, it's an old tune. I think it was written in 1918. Um, I only knew it because it was my um, my maternal grandfather, my, my Zadie, we call him Yiddish word. Um, it was his favorite song. Um, and he, he passed away in uh, 2016, I believe, and I hadn't really thought much of the song. And I went in the next day, I after I found out the news, I made this arrangement. Um, he was a clarinet player and a sax player and a big fan of that sort of uh, New Orleans traditional sound. Um, so I started with this sort of melancholic arrangement because that's where I was at the time. And then I just sort of let my mind wander and it ended up going into a piano trio and this New Orleans traditional section and a bass solo. Um, and it's really that feeling of like, 
that nostalgic feeling I got from that song and how important it was for me and, and for my grandfather. Um, and then also just being uninhibited and deciding to go into all these different sections. Um, that's sort of what makes that arrangement for me. What I especially liked is that it's your take on a kind of New Orleans funeral parade, if you think about it, that it's sad but joyous because this is all part of life. And so that's really lovely because it's a reinterpretation, but it's that very same emotion. Yeah, and my brother and I actually played as a duet. We played, um, not my arrangement, but that song for his funeral, um, for my, my, my Zadie's funeral in, in that same sort of style. I'm sorry if this is getting very sad, but it's, again, it's no, that, that I don't sad, think it's... And sad and that yet joyous. <laughs> yes, and I don't think it's sad at all. I think it's that wonderful, that's why I said it. I think that it's a celebration mm-hmm. of this person you loved. I know my mom, my mom was a pianist, and she wanted, she requested that at her funeral that we play a recording of her doing Bye Bye Blues, which was beautiful. Of course, I, we all sobbed, but it was so lovely right. because it was a great choice of this person who loved music, and I think that's beautiful. We, really of course, lovely. had to get special permission from the rabbi because you're not supposed to have music in that in a, in, in, the, in a traditional Jewish service, um, so we had to get special permission to play this song during his service. Oh, I didn't know that, but yeah. he was, he, he oh, yes. agreed. He, he was very understanding. And he knew my Zadie would have absolutely loved that. So, yes.
Haley Brunel on vocal and trombone on the title track from her new CD, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. You talked about reconciling the negativity and adversity in one's life while still finding and rejoicing in moments of happiness to sustain oneself. That's so beautifully written, and I love that, especially now, which I think is great to talk about that as we're all, we're recording this during a pandemic and what we're all going through and being isolated and we're all looking for things to be joyous about. When did you record this, the actual date? You didn't put it on the CD Ooh. or I missed it. Oh yeah, you're right. Now I'm realizing maybe for a reprint. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> well, this, just the exact date. It says when it's released, but yeah, I didn't know when um, you no, recorded it. No, this was it. actually recorded in 2019 um, in a uh, I believe September of 2019. Yeah, so right before we all shut down. Mm-hmm. But then you had to get it all together in the press and putting it together and and all of that during this pandemic. So talk about that because I think that's a message that everybody needs to hear. Yeah, and um, my album release looked totally different than I thought it would, obviously. Um, I originally had planned on releasing in the spring of 2020 and then... Uh, we shut down in March and I put everything on hold because I had no idea what uh, what music was looking like, what it would look like to release. I knew touring wasn't an option. Um, it ended up for me uh, being at least a little bit fortuitous because that gave me time to link up with uh, my record label Outside in Music who helped me with the rest of the release. Um, but yeah, I really did put everything on hold um, because no one knew what was going on. Um and uh, ended up releasing uh, pretty much a year later than I thought I was going to. But uh, again, with the help of Outside in Music, which was a huge thing for me. I had never thought that I was going to work with a record label for my first album, but uh, it was a big help. Have you been teaching online a lot since shutdown? Oh, yes. Um, yeah. I and t- how is that? Talk about that experience because everybody has their own, myself included, Zoom exhaustion. Yes. So talk about that experience. Now, you're a very experienced teacher, so you're used to teaching, but talk about how radically different this is teaching this way. Yeah. So I teach many different levels I, I um, until I, I recently uh, left part of my job, but until um, December, I had been teaching online uh kindergarten through fourth grade general music, eighth grade through uh, fourth through through eighth grade band, and I teach at the University of Arts, and I was teaching a vocal improv class in in an ensemble. Um, Different things translate better than others. Oh, and private lessons, obviously. Um, But uh, it's, oh, it's so difficult. I like that I can wear sweatpants or PJ pants, and no one knows, but that's pretty (laughs) pretty much the extent of the positives. One positive thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it's so hard with music. It's so hard with music and not being able to play together, especially when I lead ensembles or I'm working on, especially improvisation with my private students for me to not be able to accompany them or we trade and I say, all right, pull up your backtrack and get ready and we'll do the first eight bars. Like one of, oh, it's, it's, it's a mess that we're all getting used to, but I'm excited to be able to safely teach in person again. But feel is something we always talk about with jazz because there's there it isn't jazz without a great feel and playing and that's something we can't do with Zoom because there's always that delay mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you're not in person. Talk about that. I think that's something that's always um, interesting to our listeners because 
I haven't talked to anybody specifically about the fact of what you get just being in person and next to somebody and how that adds to that and the the melding of personalities, everything. Talk about that. Yeah. And for teaching, um, I have my students at, at the University of the Arts, um, my uh, ensemble, which is actually all um, uh, female or uh, actually it's all female students this semester. It's open to female or non-binary students. Um, but uh, we are doing uh, the Femme Ensemble, as it was named. Um, we are doing remote recording. And it's so difficult talking about. We usually I try to pick tunes when I arrange them that I can give a concrete reference recording of, hey, you're not going to be able to have this feel organically in person, but I'm going to give you this reference recording of what Hor Horace Silver sounded like playing Nika's Dream. And I want you to play along with that recording. Then when you go to record, drums will track first and bass, you have to figure out how to make a pocket with a drummer that tracked to a click. So it's all, it's so hard. Um, I haven't made any of my own remote recordings kind of for that reason, because I, I really sit in the world of swing and it is the hardest when you're not in person, especially my drummer, Dan Monahan, um, always makes fun of me because he says I pick all the in-between tempos. Like my favorite, te <laughs> my favorite tempos to play are like between slow swing and walking ballad and like between up and burning. I and mean, then he always tells me that like I'm in those weird in-between spots. So I'm never going to try to make someone do that remotely. <laughs> oh, that's great. Why mess around with strife? I never was cut out to step and strut out. Give me the simple life. Some find it pleasant dining on pheasant. Those things roll off my knife. Just serve me tomatoes and mashed potatoes. Give me the simple life. A cottage small is all I how do you count off a tune? Talk about counting and, and feeling a tune because that's something I'm asking personally because I know I only started singing recently and it was fascinating to me and a discovery the first time on stage because I called the tune the wrong tempo because I played it at one tempo, but if I stood up to sing mm -hmm. and had my guitar player play for me, it was an entirely different feel of where I wanted it vocally. So I got to where I had to give myself a minute to right. feel. <laughs> well, and that's, so talk about that. Um, that's in my. That's the advice I give to any well vocalist or just band leaders in general is take the ten seconds to hear the song in your head the way you want it before counting it off because we've all made that mistake. The one, two, a one, two, three. <laughs> Realizing halfway halfway through your counting, like oh no, that's not where I wanted it all. <laughs> Um, oh, that's so great. Yeah, that's that so feeling great. of, oh, no, 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 not that tempo. Um, but yeah, so that's my advice to myself included, because especially now, because I, I was used to gigging so often, and I have my first um, jazz gig since, I, I had one in like mid-January, and I have my first one since then, this Saturday. <laughs> it's a just duo with my bass player, um, Joe Plowman. And uh, I'm talking to him about that, where it's like, oh my gosh, I am so out of sorts and like the basic things, like counting off a tune, I have to take an extra second. And yeah, 
Um, but yeah, I give myself time because when I don't give myself time, I will make tempo mistakes with songs I've been playing at a similar tempo for years. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm glad you say it. And I'm glad you bring up the thing about performing because I'm doing my first concerts next month for the first time in a year because I haven't been performing, you know, on stage. Mm-hmm. And Everybody says, if I say something about that, everybody says, oh, you remember, it's going to be great. And all I'm thinking about are tempos, looking at an audience of a bunch of people in masks, and just the, because no amount of practice is the same as performing. It's just not. Exactly. Don't you agree? Oh, of course. Yeah. And it's something, or even basic things like when I front a band, the idea of like, oh, communicating with an audience where I've barely communicated with like my boyfriend and my cats and my parents for the past year. <laughs> like, how, I, how am I supposed to talk to other people? Um, yeah. Like the little things where I think it'll all come back to us and we will be fine. But at least that first gig back, we all have that solidarity of, oh, everyone's a little rusty, so we're just happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I love to hear you say this. I'll tell you what's funny. Something I've experienced, give our audience a little insight, is I have had musicians who never forget anything, who once you hire them, it's in the book, and they are, they're there, they're professional, all of that. I've had people just forget things or call me and like last fall and say, so I guess we're not in Chicago next week. And I'll say, don't you remember three months ago that I postponed that? You know, there's a pandemic. I mean, things like that, that I see that just, there's there's a mentality that we have especially as traveling musicians, that we get in that mode of, okay, now we get the hotel, now we get the flight, now we, whatever, that is just out the window. (laughs) Yeah. So it's getting used to all of that too, which I don't think most people think of. Yeah. Well, and then I'm also experiencing, like I was used to my, at least like my local gigs, the the hustle of, oh, here are the people I contact. I'll give them, I know they like booking me these dates, like or whatever. And the sad part of some clubs are closing. Some clubs won't book more than a month out because they don't know what's going to happen. So it's the whole hustle is just completely changed. Well, talk about Stan Kenton. You brought a wonderful track of Stan Kenton. And I, it's a great leading because it's a little minor booze and then I want to play your what's the use of getting sober. So they're yeah. perfect. I've got a great, a great juxtaposition. Yeah. So talk about Stan Kenton and this this wonderful track you brought me. Sure. Um, I, I grew up uh, listening to big band music. My dad likes uh, the Kenton band. Um, my, my high school, I remember my high school band director, Michael Musi, um, brought this tune in when I was uh, I think a sophomore or a junior in high school to our big band. And It's just been this, I always, I remember hearing that recording and just thinking, that's what a trombone section is supposed to sound like. And Kenton was so specific about how he wanted his brass to sound. Um, And I remember hearing that recording and the juxtaposition of the first time they play that trombone melody. um, And it's that more subtle sort of like quiet interpretation. And then just the roaring, that that loud, um, brassy uh, quality they get on the second head. I just remember listening to that and saying, this will inspire me before any big band gig I ever play ever in my entire life.
So talk about what's the use of getting sober. Sure. I love how you did it, the arrangement. And I wasn't familiar with this song, so this is great. Yeah, so this is, a, I think, originally a Louis Jordan song. Um, and I learned it from Joe Jackson, weirdly enough. If you're familiar with Joe Jackson, of he course. had the album, uh, I, I think it was called Jumpin' Joe Jackson. I forget, but it, he did a whole album of, of, of swing tunes. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I grew up on that Joe Jackson album. It was one of my dad's favorites. So I just, this was a song I had heard for decades and when I was getting tunes together for um, this album I just I don't know why it popped into my head and it resonated which I don't want to read into too much and (laughs) (laughs) um, perfect and and yeah it's just such a fun tune I had to figure out how to interpret the the spoken part because I I, that that's an original the it's a lot of uh, just speaking so I wanted to interpret that a little differently but I'm glad you enjoyed it I love that track What's the use of getting sober If you're gonna get drunk again Sam did something fine When he brought that whiskey Beer and wine I love my whiskey And I love my gin Every time you see me, I'm in my sin. So what's the use of getting sober if you're gonna get drunk again? Went out last night, about half past one. Thought I'd whoop it up in hell. Some fun Got me a half pint About half past two You know What I wanted to do With that pint About half past four Felt so good I went and got more Half past five That was so good I didn't know If I was dead Or alive What's the use of Getting sober If you're gonna Get drunk Again Said Sam Did something fine When he brought Haley Brunel on What's the Use of Getting Sober. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. (laughs) 
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to Jazz Inspired on all the usual podcast platforms and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stride Queen. Although we broadcast on NPR stations, we're an independent production, not funded by NPR. We're funded primarily by your donations. So please visit jazzinspired.com to chip in. No gift is too small. And please tell your friends about Jazz Inspired and help us spread the word. I'm talking with trombonist vocalist Haley Brunel. Well, talk about the Philly jazz community because you wrote about that as well. And I love the opportunity to discuss this because people always think about the New York scene or the New Orleans scene. Now that I'm thinking about it, you don't really hear people anymore talk about what's the scene here or that, you know, the Kansas City scene or whatever. So talk about this because you've really embraced this and felt embraced yourself and love it from what I've read. Yeah, I absolutely love. I'm a transplant. I'm from Massachusetts originally, but I moved to to Philly um, in 2013 uh, to go to school at Temple University. Um, and the beauty of the Philly jazz community is there's there is a rich history. Um, actually, right now there's uh, talk about uh, John Coltrane has a, a house that he lived in in Philly, um, and there's actually some drama right now about the Historical Society preserving it. But there's so much history um, in Philly, and there are players that have been here and stayed in Philly and lived in Philly while other musicians might have passed through and sort of imparted their own uh, jazz style and especially like uh, the bebop um, and hard bop are really big here. Um, And you get all that history, but you also get this lovely community, whereas in maybe a bigger city like New York or I I can't speak to New Orleans as much, um, but there's so many players and there's a bunch of smaller communities, but it's harder to feel at home in a larger community when it's just there's so many people. Philly is just small enough that there is a rich sense of community, but just big and diverse enough that you're always feeling challenged and able to play with new people. Which is perfect. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. And I think it's great to say that, too, because where you are in the community is so important in keeping you inspired and supported. I think that's something that isn't talked about enough and one of the reasons I created this show, because we all need to be inspired whether we're artists, professional artists or not. And the real challenge is how you stay inspired. And in your case, you have a family of musicians, so you know the tradition of this and how they stayed inspired. And did they talk about any of that? Uh, My dad is my main musical influence in my family. Um, My brother, uh, he is now an engineer um, living in Maine, and he does music on the side and more like singer-songwriter original stuff. Um, my dad, though, I he's been a performing piano player and singer um, ever since I can remember. I think he came out of a, the like 80s top 40 circuits um, and then uh, has always had a fondness for the Great American Songbook and Rat Pack and Frank Sinatra, obviously. Um, so most of what I got from my dad was a wide knowledge of songs and tunes and styles. But a lot of it was 
business. Um, my dad and I played gigs starting when I was 12. Um, I actually played drums and sang, which is funny to think about um, back then. But uh, yeah, we would have gigs in restaurants uh, and different like smaller little clubs, I guess. Um, and I learned so many small business things from him and how to book and how to interact with patrons and management and that's most of the lessons that I actively use now and I will still call my dad about have to do with more the business side of, of music that I wouldn't have gotten um, otherwise, I don't think. Did they talk about any of that in college when you were studying music? Yes and no. Um, in college, I think, and this is something in at least a few different programs that I've experienced or spoken with people about, there's a lot of talk about what you want your career to eventually be, which is touring, playing clubs, playing festivals, recording. Um, but as a jazz musician especially, there was not as much emphasis on the day-to-day, -day, what the gigs you'll have to do to make ends meet, how to hustle for the gigs in your own city. Um, so I'm really thankful that my dad helped fill in those gaps for me because now my knowledge that I got at Temple is coming more into play now that I'm starting to be able to book um, some some other things. But for the first three years out of college, I was going to bars and restaurants with my business card and a CD or a, a, a card that would uh, link them to my music and, you know, trying to convince them to hire me for this any small gig I could. And that was all all Dave Brunel. <laughs> Talk about Cecile McLaurin-Solvant. Because you brought an interesting track of hers, too. And she's such a fascinating singer, her whole approach. Talk about this track and why you brought it. Cecile McLaurin-Salvant is a huge inspiration. She's um, one of the first, I guess, modern jazz singers I remember getting into because I grew up listening to, you know, Ella or Sarah Vaughan or Billie Holiday. And uh, Cecile McLaurin-Salvant um, has this way of, of phrasing and uh, telling a story in uh, while she sings uh, while maintaining this extremely high level of musicality that I have just been so taken with. I remember I saw her at the North Sea Jazz Festival um, when in college uh, I did a program where I got to, I went to Amsterdam and played a tribute to Stan Kenton in the festival. Um, and I had an artist pass, so I got to go backstage to wherever. I remember going and talking to her and just about how she thinks of music is just so organic and just, it's, she is always so authentic. In that song, Nobody, one, the actual groove and the feel, it has that sort of um, paying homage to New Orleans vibe that I love. Um, but she has a great mix of those storytelling elements, um, but also an intriguing arrangement. Um, and I, I've always been, I remember that was the first song of hers that, I, that really, really um, inspired me. When life seems full of clouds and rain And I am filled with that but pain Who soothes my thumping, bumping brain Nobody When winter comes with snow sleet and me with hunger and cold feet who says here's 25 cents go on get something to eat nobody I never done nothing to know 
Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. My guest is vocalist, trombonist, Haley Brunel. Talk about the Ella track. You brought Airmail Special, which I love. I love to play Airmail Special because that's the theme of the show. We open with that song. Oh! With, uh, so it's, I love to have other, because it's, I'm playing it with my trio, so it's great to have other. And I, I know this track, and it's wonderful. Talk about this and why you chose it. Yeah, this was the first, Amherst Airmail Special was the first scat solo I ever transcribed my sophomore year of high school. Um, I remember I was taking classical voice lessons and my I told my teacher, I want to do this. And he said, all right, I'm not sure how much I can help you, but learn it and I'll do what I can. <laughs> um, but yeah, that just has stuck with me. And obvi- it's iconic, that solo and uh, her, well, her many renditions of Airmail Special. Um, but I think specifically that uh, Live at Newport one is the one I transcribed. Um, but her, uh, playfulness and language and just her, again, I, I try to, in my own playing, um, I love to have a mix of playfulness along with my musicality. Um, I think it just makes it more interesting to listen to. If you can tell a musician is having fun and willing to take chances and play with their band in addition to having great language. Um, but that track is just, I could listen to, I think it's what, six or seven minutes long. I could listen to it for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Brood and 
Transcribing or learning a scat solo, do you not just do the notes? Do you also do the word that she's using or the sound that she's using? I try to. Um, and that's I'm just it, curious. I've never yeah. asked anybody this. Um, I try to. Um, even when I transcribe today, um, and I transcribe a mix of um, horn players and, and singers or piano players or whoever, um, but I always try to emulate sound um, because I think my theory is if I can emulate their sound and their syllable choices and their style, I can always choose to abandon it later in favor of something I like, but at least I'll have it as a tool in my arsenal. Talk about easy to love. So this was, I think, maybe the first song that I decided I wanted to be on this album. Um, I uh, This is one of the only songs that does not have some sort of nostalgic childhood meaning for me. It's really just that 
I absolutely love this song, and uh, it's usually traditionally a ballad, and anything goes. Or um, Cole Porter, I think it was in the second revival. Anyway, I, I remember playing a book for Anything Goes once and being surprised when Easy to Love was in one book and not the other. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I uh, one time on a diva jazz orchestra gig at uh, Dizzy's um, in New York, um, I remember uh, we had we were given the music maybe a week before um, for this gig, and I saw Easy to Love was on there. I looked at it, and I said, oh, this doesn't look too hard, and I didn't spend that much time shedding it. And we got to the day of the gig at Soundcheck, and it was burning. And I had just looked at the <laughs> chart and thought, like, oh, Easy to Love bowed. It looks easy, cool. And I remember... <laughs> <laughs> doing that burning version and thinking like, oh my gosh, I never thought to do this tune at this tempo. I love this. And then when I went to record my own record, I thought I need to do my own version of this tune at this tempo. This is so fun. You'd be so easy to love, so easy to idolize all others above. So at the game so carefree together that it does seem a shame that you can't see your future with me because you'd be oh so easy to love we talked a little bit before we were on mic about our different experiences with women in the jazz world. And when I came up, I met so few. I met singers, but very few women instrumentalists. And I was, you've worked with loads of women. And so I find it, I'm curious what they've told you about the scene, because some of the things I told you, you, to, you said that you'd heard that from other people, but you really still, I don't, I don't spend time with women instrumentalists. It just doesn't happen in my life. So so talk about that, some of the things they've said and some of what you experience in your life as sure. a woman in the business. And and for me, it depends because if I'm just gigging in Philly, I will come across very few female instrumentalists, most of which are younger and right out of college, similar to mm. myself, because mm -hmm. that's we're more of the generation that there are more female instrumentalists. Right. Um, the first time I had really played with a band um, with, any women in it besides a, a vocalist with any instrumentalist was uh, with Sherry Miracle in the Diva Jazz Orchestra. And I remember thinking, wow, how cool is this? And then I remember talking to especially male instrumentalists later who said, um, why does there have to be a band with all women in it? Like, what if, you know, like, what if there's not someone that sounds good in that band, like, and no one else can sub? That's a, like, there are all these questions. And, uh, Talking to Sherry uh, has given me some great perspective. Um, I, res I respect Sherry Miracle so much. And I've been on diva gigs where uh, the normal first call lead trumpet players can't make it. So Nick Marchione plays the gig. Um, and Sherry will get the best call. And if it's not a woman, then fine. The, we serve the music. And that's kind of how I fall with um, who I call for bands is... If there's another female instrumentalist that I love playing with and she happens to be non-male identifying, I'll call her. And if there's male band players I'd rather play with, that's who I'm going to call. Um, that's something that's hard because there's a lot of tokenism um, that I, I don't know if you experienced, but nowadays I get a lot of gigs where I'm the call and I'm forced to think, wow, was I the call for this because I was the best person for the job or did they just want to diversify the bandstand? And is that okay? Oh, that's interesting. That's yeah. interesting. Um, that, that happens. And then I just have to go in and say, well, it doesn't matter how they called me. I'm going to play 
I play really well. <laughs> right. Um, right. And, and, you know, but uh, that's a lot of what I experience now is sort of grappling with that. You know, sometimes I know I could be called because of because I'm a female for something. Sometimes maybe I didn't get the call because I am. But uh, I remember specifically one gig in Atlantic City. Um, I was told I was going to get the call. Then a couple weeks before the gig, I was told, actually, we can't call you because we have to share hotel rooms that night and there's no other females on the gig. So we, we have to call someone else. You're teaching a class that is, that's all women. What did you oh, say yeah. it so was? It's, um, the Femme Ensemble at University of Arts is um, open to women or anyone that has um, basically uh, non-traditionally uh, male identifying. Um, and right now uh, it's all women. Um, and I've had a lot of conversations about it because one of my initial thoughts was, does this ensemble need to exist or should it just be, you know, female students play with whoever and we serve the music? Um, in a college setting especially, I think it can be really valuable because there is, at least I, when I went through undergrad, it's hard to be one of the only female instrumentalists in an academic setting in a way that I don't think is indicative of the real world because in the real world, in, in being a gig musician, if I don't like playing with someone, I don't take their gigs, I don't call them. But in music school, being forced into ensembles and playing situations with people that aren't going to respect you is absolutely terrible. So I I really appreciate that the University of the Arts made, and it's optional, where they don't like, you know, gather up any female instrumentalist in the program and force them to be in the ensemble. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's a really valuable place because everyone feels really comfortable um, playing with each other. And we still serve the music, and they are really good. Way back in my childhood, I heard a story so true. Found a funny bunny's big and so good from a garden he knew. His mama got worried. She told the bunny one day, better watch the farmer eat what I say or he'll blow you away. Oh. He knew his mama is right, so why don't he do what she said? I grew up listening to Lambert Hendricks and Ross. They are one of the first groups I, I really remember listening to that sang jazz um, when I was a, a little kid. Um, I historically don't, uh, I have not fallen in love with vocal jazz ensembles or jazz choirs. Um, it just hasn't been my personal thing. Lambert, Hendrix, and Ross are a jazz combo. It doesn't matter if they're singing or if they played instruments, they would be just as musical. Um, so I, I love this track because what they're doing really transcends vocal jazz in, or any type. It, it's just pure swinging music, and it doesn't matter if what they're doing or how they're expressing it. Really is it to see your fate. Don't you mean him? Hide a hole in the fence, you can meet him with some natural sense. 
While he's over by the fence or on the way Keep on running till you're out of that gate Tell the farmer really scared you to death You never figured he was out gunning Better pause while to catch your breath You're gonna need it if you're out running Maybe now you remember what your mama told you Maybe you don't even if your father scolds you So hit the gate and be ready to wail And when you do, you show the man your tail <laughs> Hurry up, better change your plan Better run from the farmer man Ooh, you best make track You don't got pesky hair Head home running Got your way from the show and your tail Show me the way to go home. Talk Lovely. about this track. Yeah, I know this track from the movie Jaws originally. <laughs> Um, I didn't this even is, remember it's in yeah, Jaws. No, Nobody remembers a, music. We just remember dump, 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 No, dump, no, it's dump, dump, in dump. The, when they're in the base of the ship ship with a Roy Scheider and everyone uh, singing. Yeah, they, they're all getting drunk and they sing Show Me oh, the Way right. to Go Home. Um, so that's where I know that song from originally. And then the Andrew sisters have a great version of it. Um, but I just thought it would be a joyous way to, to end the album. And uh, the group singing at the end uh, is something that makes me really, really excited for when I can be in a big room uh, singing and playing with people again in person. <laughs> when I'm happy, when I'm happy, singing all the while, I don't need nobody then to show me how to smile. When I've been out on the spree, toddling down the street, with this little melody Everyone I greet Show me the way to go home I'm tired And I want to go to bed I had a little drink Bought an is delightful. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to meeting you and I love the CD when I first heard it. I saw it. I The cover is so nice. I get so many CDs that I look at and I sort of pick up the vibe from the cover and then I put things on and I don't read anything. I just, it's like my own blindfold test and I listen and it's swinging and wonderful and heartfelt and so are you. So thank you for doing the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to my conversation with Haley Brunel. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another celebrated creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can listen to Jazz Inspired on all the usual podcast platforms or at jazzinspired.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one, from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. 
The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with Mike Hashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons and Jazz Times. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stride Queen. For more information, visit judycarmichael.com or jazzinspired.com.